Major Tom. Out of the three of us, Miranda had always had almost always been the sweetest August, hugging him and playing with him long after Ella and I had moved on to playing something else. Even as we got older, Miranda always made sure to try to include August in our conversations, ask him how he was doing, talk to him about Avatar, or Star Wars, or Bone, or something she knew he liked. It was Miranda who had given Augie the astronaut helmet he wore practically every day of the year when he was five or six. She would call him Major Tom and they would sing Space Oddity by David Bowie together. It was their little thing. They knew all the words and would blast it on the iPod and sing the song out loud. Since Miranda's always been really good about calling us as soon as she got home from summer camp, I was a little surprised when I didn't hear from her. I even texted her and she didn't reply. I figured maybe she had ended up staying in the camp longer now that she was a counselor. Maybe she met a cute guy. Then I realized from her Facebook wall that she'd actually been back home for a full two weeks. So I sent her an IM and we chatted online a bit, but she didn't give me a reason for not calling, which I thought was bizarre. Miranda had always been a little flaky. So I figured that's all it was. We made plans to drive meet downtown, but then I had to cancel because we were driving out to visit Tata and Papa for the weekend. So I ended up not seeing either Miranda or Ella until the first day of school. And I have to admit, I was shocked. Miranda looked so different. Her hair was cut in the super cute bob that she dyed bright pink of all things. And she was wearing a striped tube top, which was not her usual style. Miranda had always been <clears throat> rather un... Miranda had always been weird about her clothes, and here she was all pink-haired and tube-top, but it wasn't just the way she looked that was different. She was acting differently, too. I can't say she wasn't nice, because she was, but she seemed kind of distant, like I was a casual friend. It was the weirdest thing in the world. At lunch, the three of us sat together like we always used to, but the dynamics had shifted. It was obvious to me that Ella and Miranda had gotten together a few times during the summer without me, though they never actually said that. I pretended not to be at all upset while we talked, though I could feel my face getting hot, my smile being fake. Although Ella wasn't as over the top as Miranda, I noticed a change in her usual style too. It's like they had talked to each other beforehand about redoing their image at the new school, but hadn't bothered to clue me in. I admit, I'd always thought I was above the, this kind of typical teenage pettiness, but I felt a lump in my throat throughout lunch. My voice quivered as I said, see you later when the bell rang. After school, I hear we're driving you home today. It was Miranda in eighth period. She had just sat down at the desk right behind me. I had forgotten that mom had called Miranda's mother the night before to ask if she could drive me home from school. You don't have to, I answered instinctively, casually. My mom can pick me up. I thought she had to pick up Augie up or something. It turns out she can pick me up afterward. She just texted me, not a problem. Oh, okay, thanks. It was a lie on my part, but I couldn't see sitting in a car with the new Miranda. After school, I ducked into a restroom to avoid bumping into Miranda's mother outside. Half an hour later, I walked out of the school, ran the three blocks to the bus stop, hopped on the M86 to Central Park West and took the subway home. Hey there, sweetie, mom said the moment. I stepped through the front door. How was your first day? I was starting to wonder where you guys were. We stopped for pizza. Incredible how easy a lie can slip through your lips. Is Miranda not with you? She seemed surprised that Miranda wasn't right behind me. 
She went straight home. We have a lot of homework. On your first day? Yes, on our first day, I yelled, which completely surprised mom. But before she could say anything, I said, school is fine. It's really big, though. The kids seem nice. I wanted to give her enough information information so she wouldn't feel the need to ask me more. How was Augie's first day of school? Mom hesitated, her eyebrows still high up on her forehead from when I snapped at her the second earlier. Okay, she said slowly as she was letting out a breath. What do you mean okay, I said. Was it good or bad? He said it was good. So why do you think it wasn't good? I didn't say it wasn't good. Geez, Via, what's up with you? Just forget I asked anything at all, I answered, and stormed dramatically into Augie's room and slammed the door. He was on his PlayStation and didn't even look up. I hated how zombified his video games made him. So how was school, I said, scooching Daisy over so I could sit on his bed next to him. Fine, he answered, still not looking up from the PlayStation from the game. Augie, I'm talking to you. I pulled the PlayStation out of his hands. Hey, he said angrily. How was school? I said fine, he yelled back, grabbing the PlayStation back from me. Were people nice to you? Yes. No one was mean? He put the PlayStation down and looked up at me as if I had just asked the dumbest question in the world. Why would people be mean, he said. It was the first time in his life that I heard him be sarcastic like that. I didn't think he had it in him. The Padawan Bites the Dust. I'm not sure at what point that night Augie had cut off his Padawan braid or why that made me really mad. I'd always found his obsession with everything Star Wars kind of geeky and that braid in the back of his hair with his little beads was just awful. But he had always been so proud of it, of how long it took him to grow it, of how he had the cho- how he had chosen the beads himself in a craft store in Soho. He and Christopher, his best friend, used to play with lightsabers and Star Wars stuff whenever they got time, and they had both started growing their braids at the same time. When August cut his braid off that night without an explanation, without telling me beforehand, which is, was really surprising, or even calling Christopher, I was just so upset, I can't even explain why. I've seen Augie brushing his hair in the bathroom mirror. He meticulously tries to get every hair in place. He tilts his head to look at himself from different angle, like there's some magic perspective inside the mirror that could change the dimensions of his face. Mom knocked on my door after dinner. She looked drained, and I realized that between me and Augie, today had been a tough day for her too. So you want to tell me what's up, she said nicely, softly. Not now, okay, I answered. I was reading. I was tired. Maybe later, I'd be up to telling her about Miranda, but not now. I'll check in before you go to bed, she said, and then she came over and kissed me on the top of my head. Can Daisy sleep with me tonight? Sure, I'll bring her in later. Don't forget to come back, I said as she left. I promise. But she didn't come back that night. Dad did. He told me Augie had 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 a bad first day, and mom was helping him through it. He asked me how my day had gone, and I told him fine. He said he didn't believe me for a second, and I told him Miranda and Ella were acting like jerks. I didn't mention how I took the subway home by myself, though. He said nothing tests friendship like high school, and then proceeded to poke fun at the fact that I was reading Not real fun, of course, since I've heard him brag to people that he had a 15-year-old who's reading Tolstoy. But he liked to rib me about where I was in the book in a war part or in a peace part, and if there was anything in there about Napoleon's days as a hip hop dancer. It was silly stuff, but dad always managed to make everyone laugh. 
And sometimes that's all you'll need to feel better. Don't be mad at mom, he said, as he bent down to give me a goodnight kiss. You know how much he, she worries about Augie. I know, I acknowledged. Want the light on or off? It's getting kind of late, he said, pausing by the light switch at the door. Can you bring Daisy in first? Two seconds later, he came back with Daisy dangling in his arms and he laid her down next to me on the bed. Good night, sweetheart, he said, kissing my forehead. He kissed Daisy on her forehead too. Good night, girly. Sweet dreams. An apparition at the door. Once I got up in the middle of the night because I was thirsty and I saw a mom standing outside of Augie's room. Her hand was on the doorknob, her forehead leaning on the door, which was ajar. She wasn't going in his room or stepping out, just standing right outside the door as if she was listening to the sound of his breathing as he slept. The hallway lights were out. The only thing illuminating her was the blue nightlight in August's bedroom. She looked ghost-like standing there, or maybe I should say angelic. I tried to walk back into my room without disturbing her, but she heard me and walked over to me. Is Augie okay, I asked. I knew that sometimes he would wake up choking on his own saliva if he accidentally turned over on his back. Oh, he's fine, she said, wrapping her arms around me. She walked me back into my room, pulled the covers over me and kissed me goodnight. She never explained what she was doing outside his door and I never asked. I wonder how many nights she stood outside his door and I wonder if she's ever stood outside my door like that. Breakfast. Can you pick me up from school today? I said the next morning, smearing some cream cheese, cream cheese on my bagel. Mom was making August's lunch, American cheese on whole wheat bread, soft enough for Augie to eat, while August sat eating oatmeal at the table. Dad was getting ready to go to work. Now that I was in high school, the new school routine was going to be that dad and I would take the subway together in the morning, which meant his having to leave 15 minutes earlier than usual. Then I'd get off at my stop and he'd keep going. And mom was going to pick me up after school in the car. I was going to call Miranda's mother to see if she could drive you home again, mom answered. No, mom, I said quickly, you pick me up or I'll just take the subway. You know, I don't want you to take the subway by yourself yet, she answered. Mom, I'm 15. Everybody my age takes the subway by themselves. She can take the subway home, said dad from the other room, adjusting his tie as he stepped into the kitchen. Why can't Miranda's mother just pick her up again, mom argued with him. She's old enough to take the subway by herself, dad insisted. Mom looked at both of us. Is something going on? She didn't address her question to either one of us in particular. You would know if you had come back to check on me, I said spitefully, like you said you would. Oh God, Via, said mom, remembering now how she had completely ditched me last night. She put down the knife she was using to cut Augie's grapes in half, still a choking hazard for him because of the size of his palate. I'm so sorry I fell asleep in Augie's room. By the time I woke up, I know, I know, I nodded indifferently. Mom came over, put her hands on my cheeks and lifted my face to look at her. I'm really, really sorry, she whispered. I could tell she was. It's okay, I said. Via, mom, it's fine. This time I meant it. She looked so genuinely sorry, I just wanted to let her off the hook. She kissed and hugged me, then returned to the grapes. So is something going on with Miranda, she asked. Just that she's acting like a complete jerk, I said. Miranda's not a jerk, Augie quickly chimed in. She can be, I yelled. Believe me. Okay, then. I'll pick you up. No problem, Mom said decisively. 
sweeping the half grapes into a snack bag with the side of her knife. That was the plan all along anyway. I'll pick up Augie from school in the car and then we'll pick you up. We'll probably get there about quarter to four. No, I said firmly before she even finished. Isabel, can she take the subway? She, Isabel, she can take the subway, said dad impatiently. She's a big girl now. She's reading War and Peace for crying out loud. What does War and Peace have to do with anything, answered mom, clearly annoyed. It means you don't have to pick her up in the car like she's a little girl, he said sternly. Via, are you ready? Get your backpack. Let's go. I'm ready, I said, pulling on my backpack. Bye, mom. Bye, Augie. I kissed them both quickly and headed toward the door. Do you even have a Metro card, mom said after me. Of course she has a Metro card, answered dad, fully exasperated. Yeesh, mama. Stop worrying so much. Bye, he said, kissing her on the cheek. Bye, big boy, he said to August, kissing him on the top of his head. I'm proud of you. Have a good day. Bye, daddy. You too. Dad and I jogged down the stoop stairs and headed down the block. Call me after school before you get on the subway, mom yelled at me from the window. I didn't even turn around, but waved my hand at her so she'd know I heard her. Dad did turn around, walking backward for a few steps. War and peace, Isabel, he called out, smiling as he pointed at me. War and peace. Genetics 101. Both sides of dad's family were Jews from Russia and Poland. Papa's grandparents fled the pogroms and ended up in New York City at the top of the century. Tata's parents fled the Nazis and ended up in Argentina in the 40s. Papa and Tata met at a dance on the Lower East Side while she was in town visiting a cousin. They got married, moved to Bayside, and had dad and Uncle Ben. Mom's side of the family is from Brazil, except for her mother, my beautiful grands, and her dad, Augusto, who died before I was born. The rest of mom's family, all of her glamorous aunts, uncles, and cousins, still live in Alto Lebelon, a ritzy suburb south of Rio. Grands and Augusto moved to Boston in the early 60s and had mom and Aunt Kate, who married to Uncle Porter. Mom and dad met at Brown University and had been together ever since. Isabel and Nate, like two peas in a pod. They moved to New York right after college, had me a few years later, then moved to a brick townhouse in North River Heights, the hippie stroller capital of Upper Upper Manhattan when I was about a year old. No one, per, no, not one person in the exotic mix of my family gene pool has ever shown any obvious signs of having what August has. I've poured over grainy sepia pictures of long dead relatives in, a, in bashbuka, bashbukas, black and white snapshots of distant cousins in crisp white linen suits, soldiers in uniforms, lady with bee, ladies with beehive hairdos, Polaroids of bell-bottom teenagers and long-haired hippies. And not once have I been able to detect even the slightest trace of August's face, face in their faces. Not a one. But after August was born, my parents underwent genetic counseling. They were told that August had what seemed to be a previously unknown type of facial dystocia caused by an autosomal recessive mutation in the gene, which is located on chromosome 5. Sometimes these mutations occur during pregnancy. Sometimes they've inherited from one parent carrying the dominant gene. In August's case, the doctors were able to identify one of the single nucleotide deletion mutations that made war on his face. The war, weird thing is, though, you never know it from looking at them. <clears throat> Both of my parents carry that mutant gene, and I carry it, too. The Punnett Square. If I have children, there's a one in two chance that I will pass on the defective gene to them. That doesn't mean they'll look like August, 
but they'll carry the gene that got double dosed in August and help make him the way he is. If I marry someone who has, has the same defective gene, there's a one in two chance that our kids will carry the gene and look totally normal, a one in four chance that our kids will not carry the gene at all, and a one in four chance that our kids will look like August. If August has children with someone who doesn't have a trace of the gene, there's a 100% probability that their kids will inherit the gene, but a 0% chance that their kids will have a double dose of it like August, which means they'll carry the gene no matter what, but they could look totally normal. If he marries someone who has the gene, their kids will have the same odds as my kids. This only explains the part of August that's explainable. There's that other part of his genetic makeup that's not inherited, but just incredibly bad luck. Countless doctors have drawn little tic-tac-toe grids for my parents over the years to try to explain the genetic lottery to them. Geneticists use these Punnett squares to determine the inheritance, recessive and dominant genes, probabilities, and chance. But for all I know, there's more they don't know. They can try to forecast the odds, but they can't guarantee them. They use terms like germline, mo mosaicism, chromosome rearrangement, or delayed mutation to explain why their science is not an exact science. I actually like how doctors talk. I like the sound of science. I like how words you don't understand explain things you can't understand. There are countless people under words like germline mosaicism, chromosome rearrangement, or delayed mutation. Countless babies will never be born like mine. Out with the old. Miranda and Ella blasted off. They attached themselves to a new crowd destined for a high school glory. After a week of painful lunches where all they would do was talk about people that didn't interest me, I decided to make a clean break for it. They asked no questions. I told no lies. We just went our separate ways. I didn't even mind after a while. I stopped going to lunch for about a week, though to make the transition easier to avoid the fake, oh shoot, there's no room for you at the table, Olivia. It was easier just to go to the library and read. I finished War and Peace in October. It was amazing. People think it's such a hard read, but it's really just a soap opera with lots of characters, people falling in love, fighting for love, dying for love. I wanna be in love like that someday. I want my husband to love me the way Prince Andrew loved Natasha. I ended up hanging out with a girl named Eleanor, who I'd known for my days at PS22, though we'd gone to a different middle schools. Eleanor had always been a really smart girl, a little bit of a crybaby back then, but nice. I've never realized how funny she was. Not laugh out loud, daddy funny, but full of great quips. She never knew how lighthearted I could be. Eleanor, I guess, had always been under the impression that I was very serious. And as it turns out, she never liked Miranda and Ella. She thought they were stuck up. I gained entry through Eleanor to the smart kids table at lunch. It was a larger group than I've been accustomed to hanging out with and a more diverse crowd. It included Eleanor's boyfriend, Kevin, who would definitely become class president someday. A few techie guys, girls like Eleanor, who were members of the yearbook committee and the debate club, and a quiet guy named Justin, who had small round glasses and played the violin and who I had an instant crush on. When I'd see Miranda and Ella, who were now hanging out with the super popular set, we'd say, hey, what's up, and move on. Occasionally, Miranda would ask me about how August was doing and then say, tell him I say hello. This I never did, not despite Miranda, but because August was in his own world these days. There were times at home that we never crossed paths. <laughs>